0: Do I think it's going to be hard? Yes. Do I think I need to change how I'm going to live? Yes. If you're not thinking that, you're not being realistic. I'm around both high net worth and average net worth individuals consistently. And I would say both parties express that there is an extreme change in the cost of living. And I think honestly, unless you're making big, big money. When I say big money, I mean you need to be making at least a half million dollars a year uh, or more before you can almost try and pretend like you're immune to what's going on. When I was broke,
1: I had rich, had rich. Welcome, everybody, to episode 50 of season two of the Master Keys podcast. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. We're here trying to give you some information, trying to give you some ideas, trying to network with you guys. We are Atlanta Canada's number one real estate investing podcast. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. What we do for a living is we sell real estate, we invest in real estate, so we talk about all the issues that are important to us. We hope they're important to you. If you're listening in, you probably have a passion for real estate. We love real estate. It's what gets us up in the morning. It's what keeps us up late at night. Which is why I'm super. My voice is not great. Whoa, I got a little, a, a little raspy. Had a little staff party, got a little loose, but it was good. Whoa! What was that reaction? <laughs> I guess I left a little earlier than you did. Um, okay, let's get
0: into it. Yeah, here. let's get right into
1: it. Um, have you watched World Cup? I, uh, a little bit here and there. I mean, I'm not a big uh, fan of the beautiful game. It's not my thing. It's not my thing. I like not basketball. Was that
0: the football? No. The football. Uh, I honestly haven't been watching it either, but, but I did watch some stuff about the infrastructure. Um, yeah, there's a big real
1: estate component to these major events, and it's wild because oftentimes you'll see like these stadiums years later, and they're just like abandoned because they were built for one use only.
0: Yeah, and I had a few people message me about this, so I thought we would chat about it real quick. Um, but the main stadium, Stadium 974, uh, when the Qatar built it, Catchy on top name. of all the crazy things. <laughs> Um, they said it's going to be a reusable stadium. So you can put it yeah. up and take it down and go take it to other places. It, Shut up. It hosts holds 40,000 people. And that's I think, their way of trying to mask the fact that they spent $220 billion to host. And now the largest spend in second place Man. is $15 billion So by Brazil. So th- this is.
1: So why should people care that it's reusable though? I honestly it's think it's a PR stunt.
0: They're they're 15x the previous Man. previous world previous world cup. Well, the previous world cup was Russia, which is 11 billion. So they're 20x that. The one before that was Brazil at 15 billion, and they're 15x that. Um, Man, but anyway, I mean that, that's
1: bribery money is not as cheap as it used to be. I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. Anyways, I uh, like I said I have not watched it much, but I don't know if anyone knows the Wonton Don. Do you watch Wonton Don from uh, Barstool Sports? Yeah, yeah. So I saw him. He posted about the. Um, the village, what's it called? The World Cup village. And the fan village, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, fan zone. And basically, I mean, they made a good effort. And for the timeline that they had uh, and everything that goes into it, it's great. But basically, across the desert, they just have like 100, more than that, like thousands of like shipping containers that they turn really? into hotel rooms. And it's just a little bathroom.
1: Those are also reusable.
0: And a bedroom. Well, that's the concept is that it's all can be taken off site, reused at different places. But it was... His was like leaking and he just had like an air conditioning unit plugged in, just sitting in the middle of the room, uh, blowing on his face. <laughs> and it's like a windowless shipping container box in the middle of the desert, and there's just rows and rows and rows and rows. How much
1: them. did you say it was?
0: They spent two hundred and twenty billion. And again, that's fifteen X, the next highest ever. Like it's not like, like on from, average everyone spends a yeah. hundred bill and now they spend two hundred. It's like on average everyone spends ten billion and then somehow Qatar has spent two hundred and twenty billion.
1: And Is the reason because they were maybe behind in infrastructure otherwise? Or you wouldn't think so because they're like, they
0: got all the crazy stuff that's built. And also, from what I understand, they don't necessarily pay for all the labor properly. So I'm surprised that they're able to spend that much. Not many
1: severance packages there. Yeah, so there's a lot of overhead there, yeah. a lot of soft costs, and <laughs> the construction budget there. Uh, some of the
0: construction companies uh, did,
1: did okay. Line um, items just say some for me, some for you. Yeah. Those are two major line <laughs> items. Um
0: oh, that's wild, man. Yeah. Anyways, I thought I would ask, like I said, I, I'm not following the games much, which I should be, um, but someone sent that in, and I was honestly blown away by the fact that you can spend a quarter of a trillion dollars on a few weeks of football.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes the uh, money I spend in a little weekend in Montreal seem cheap by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Who had more fun, though? That's <laughs> the real question. Who had more fun? Um, no, that's, uh, right. I mean, those things become these weird, big real estate investment plays, but um, all short-term, no long-term return. Like, so many of these places, even here, you know, some of the infrastructure we built in Montreal and, and uh, Alberta for major sporting events. You know, it it it's been good I guess, but it ages. Well, not in opposition
0: great. to Stadium nine seventy four, not opposition, but in comparison to Stadium nine seventy four, they referenced Stadium O in Montreal and it took thirty years to pay it off. Um and now to this date they're still like they had to do yeah. a new roof and so really it got extended and amortized over forty five years. And the costs have been out of this world. And it's like Is that. Where the Expos was it? played,
1: I think it's where the Expos played. Mm. I, Man, I miss the Expos.
0: I don't know, but like, anyways, yeah. That that was their comparisons that Montreal had done a 30-year mortgage on the stuff that they built, and it took that long to pay it off, and where there really benefits for 30 years to come. Um, to be honest, I'm almost an advocate to say that there might have been. It, uh. It's not. It's not tangible for you to be able to value it, but if you, if you look at the people that have moved there, and then what comes out of that as it goes down the line.
1: Right. You mean like uh new people moving to Montreal then you know, Yeah, and making Montreal a world
0: stage and, and then allowing it to become a host for further uh more whether it be concerts or more events or like more. would
1: the world have Celine Dion if it wasn't for you know, <laughs> the stadium, I don't know. So anyways to I wanna staying
0: on the staying on the sports topic. Yeah. This okay. one is a little bit more near and dear, I'll say. Canadian rower, Carling Zeman. Says her dream of winning an Olympic medal for Canada is being put in jeopardy by the Ontario Landlord and Tenant Board.
1: Oh my God! All right. So
0: explain that one to me. Carling is saying that she's she's a two-time Olympian.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The Ontario Board is getting in the way because they are operating so slowly that she may not be able to compete in another Olympic uh, Why? games. Why? Is
1: she a tenant or a landlord?
0: She is a landlord, okay, and so she bought uh, a property and rented it out, and it was using the extra rental income to subsidize the money she makes as a Canadian athlete, because we give Canadian athletes $1,750 a month, which is effectively nothing. $1,700, all right. So you you cannot live off of that, and so she was renting this property out. You cannot. She now has a tenant that is in arrears and hasn't paid, and so she's trying to work with the, the tenancy board to get this sorted out and fixed, but it's taking so long... She is now having to take on a job that she works forty hours a week at, and she's saying, "The more hours I work, the less that I'm able to train. The more practices that I miss. Yeah, of and realistically, it's impacting my ability to attend the Olympics in the future."
1: So this is okay. What has the online feedback been like for well, our dear on, see,
0: I'm quoting all this from a CBC article.
1: I didn't see the online feedback yet. I'm gonna. I'll see if they have a comment. Because section right here's now. the thing, like this is. She might be unpleasantly surprised when she realized it does not matter what your past accolades are. She could be an Olympian who also saved a small village from a flood. As soon as she signs on a dotted line and becomes a landlord, all that goes away. You are public enemy number one. So there are going (laughs) to be people on there being like, oh, this poor entitled Olympian uh, can't has to work a real job because some poor tenant won't pay for her livelihood. I just know she's gonna get dr- like dragged the, for there this. There
0: weren't, no, honestly, on, and this is what, because she's an Olympian, and I'm kind of like, this is gonna be a good person to speak up because she's gonna get mostly positive feedback, which I'm looking through here. I found one bad one. Um, the guys who commented, its name was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Neil? It's, it's, Share it with the class. It's Dick Shivers. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, Dick shivers. Obviously, he's gonna have something really valuable <laughs> to contribute uh,
0: um, to this conversation. He's the first bad one I found, and he was the automatically defaming the tenants as bad, whereas the story is why they didn't pay. More liberal media BS.
1: Wait, he thinks this—that is a liberal thing that supports the landlord.
0: He then also replied mm-hmm. by saying, "Oh, oh, one sec."
1: Richard Shivers really needs to (laughs) get his argument clear here. Why would the liberal media sign with um, And then someone followed to reply
0: to him and say, they probably didn't pay because they know they are protected. Not the first story of this kind. There are many, many out there. Dick proceeded to respond again (laughs) and say, probably is not a fact. So Your point is not valid.
1: He's a very short and quick... (laughs) (laughs) Dick Shivers is short and to the point. <laughs> um, okay. Well, again, I'll be interested That's to see no how point. that one uh, plays out in the court of public opinion. Um, because, you know, maybe this is what we need to do. Maybe you and I should go in the two-man luge, get ourselves to the next Winter Olympic Games, and then all of a sudden we won't get dragged as much for being landlords. How are
0: all these comments? Like, the next one is Clint Westwood. Like I,
1: <laughs> I think these are fake names. But. I'm starting to wonder the legitimacy of this website. Um No, that's going to be an interesting, interesting one, as I said, because when you do become a landlord, you lose sympathy. But um...
0: here's my only thing: I will say, I I think it's good that she spoke up because, fortunately, nothing, no one listens to us, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and no one's going to listen to anyone unless they've done something that's by mass is considered to be a good thing, whether it be uh, saving a million children or going and competing for your country. Um, and these people, when they speak up, it honestly tends to, to sway another body behind them because all of their yeah. supporters are like, wow, yeah. this is insanity. And now and we're here's gonna, someone we're I gonna, know, s-
1: here's someone I've seen that's going through this and it's like having a negative impact on life. Because I can tell you, anyone who's one degree removed from someone who's going through one of these situations sees it and... Um, realizes the, the challenges that that person's going through because someone is stealing money from them effectively month to month. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard when you don't have that platform and people feel arm's length to you. They they don't necessarily sympathize as much as they would. But I can't believe you just ignored my comment that we should enter the two-man luge at the next Winter Games. I didn't games. even I
0: didn't hear that. I was no. just too busy reading all these comments. Uh,
1: yeah, we I don't know if I want to be the top or the bottom of the luge <laughs> in this situation. Uh, anyone with good... Um, experience. Adobe Photoshop <laughs> skills. Go ahead and make that up and send it to me. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting. That's your big piece of news, eh?
0: Those, well, that was, I think that was a big piece of news because, again, it's just no, what well, now it's happening to her. I think what's happening to her is happening to a ton of other people, similar to what Clint Westwood said. But I, I do think that it's good that someone who's in that place commented out. Um, so I swear it's to also,
1: um, This is the thing with all of this stuff, too. I mean, that's presumably a relatively young individual. Most people aren't in the Olympics past their 30s anyway. Um, And I felt the same way about the Airbnb situation. A lot of people renting properties on a small scale, you know, one-offs, if you will, or running short-term rentals, they're predominantly young people trying to make their way, Mm. trying to get a little bit of extra cash, to do something like pursue a dream or pursue a passion or even just pay off debt or just to try to get a foothold in this market that is, is you know, getting away from us a little bit. And it's hard work. So the people that take this on, they're assuming risk, they're assuming debt, they're assuming extra workload. It is not passive. It is active. It is hard work. And they're not becoming rich off it. They are just trying to grow some uh, measure of, of net worth. And for... These regulatory bodies and for the government and just to crack down on these young industrious people, I think, makes no sense. It's counterintuitive to, like, what we want to encourage um, our citizens to do, which is to be ambitious, to be entrepreneurial, to start companies and, and to do all these things. But no, we're just cutting them off at the knees time and time again, whether it's this, whether it's Airbnb regulations, um, whatever what it is. they want? I don't know. Like, I... What's what's your I mean, you're like, you your encourage? Well, we should. We keep saying we that, that small businesses and industrial, <laughs> you, you know, human capital, young people, and and people of all ages being in. We need an, to increase our ambitious. productivity as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we disincentivize, we discourage people actively from doing these things. And then what are what are resources? Okay, so if you don't want us to make. Any sort of net worth on real estate. If you if you won't let us supplement our incomes with cash flow from rental properties to pay off all these debts, literally, what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Honestly, like I don't know, um, because you're highly discouraged from starting companies and starting businesses in this country enough as it is. Um, like what? I don't know the alternative. Like we're just all supposed to be the equal amount of poor and live in this socialist um, dystopia, but. Whatever. I feel like we've been digressing. I think we've
0: digressed a little bit, yeah. but I agree with what you're saying. Uh, and I think that's a, a common trait that most of our, our common uh, opinion, I guess, I think a lot of our listeners would agree with. If they don't, would love to hear you tell us why you don't or come on and, and chat with us. So we can talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I think we want to get into today's topic and what we want to go over today.
1: Yeah. So you we're gonna some talk, you go over? Well, we're going to talk today about um, th- the question about how much to take on yourself like the DIY approach versus outsourcing to contractors. And I know a lot of people that listen to this show. When to make the jump. Yeah, when to make that jump. A lot of people have asked about that, and a lot of people are out there literally swinging the hammer themselves. Um, and we've both done that to some degree. I'd be curious to hear your, your look on it. Um, it's something I certainly did starting off, and, and there were reasons for it. And then I often look back and go, well, the reason was money. Um, and the reason was the opportunity cost of my time. So if I was in this situation now, what would I do? And and I feel different ways about it so we can kind of talk through it. Um, but it even extends to the idea of property management, which I know we've covered a little bit. And I know we've got a, a special episode specifically devoted to that on our Patreon. Yep. Because property management is another thing we get asked about so much. And you know we have different approaches to that. You've got someone now, I still do it myself and kind of piecemeal. But I do believe there's value in Um, doing it yourself because of the the learning. So we're going to talk about that. But I did want to cover a couple other little things in the interim. Um, And it comes back again to the Airbnb stuff because that's making headlines here. If you haven't seen it, uh, the province of Nova Scotia is effectively cracking down on the Airbnb uh, industry. Again, not banning it, but making it so cumbersome and discouraging it so strongly that they'll effectively probably push a lot of people out of it. Uh, Simply put, they're going to require you to register with the province. Uh, which seems fine enough in its own. But of course, then once you register, you have to prove that you are conforming to the municipal bylaws of your area. And since you're running a short-term rental, they're going to deem that as commercial. So if you have a short-term rental in an area that's residential and not commercial, uh, they can shut you down and they can fine you uh, and they will not let your property be on sites like Verbo or Airbnb if you're not in the registry. So you can kind of see how this thing could snowball uh, and get to the point where as a homeowner who's, you know, been trying to run these short-term rentals. You at some point maybe throw in the towel and say, "Well, this just isn't worth uh, the obstacle, and it's it's going to be a challenge." So, um, by contrast to that, the U.S. has, uh, in the U.S., Airbnb has partnered with a number of larger kind of corporate landlords, and they have rolled out these programs. I think it's they've got about seventy buildings so far, uh, and again, these are major landlords who had a few buildings, but they're partnering with the landlord to allow tenants to short-term rent their units, Mm -hmm. with a kickback going to the landlord. So this is this really interesting scenario, and the landlord can set all of the rules. So the landlord can set how many days a month they can do it. um, Sorry, is the government regulating it? No, no, no. Sorry, this is Airbnb expanding a a new tool that they have down in the states. Okay. Um, So in a lot of cases, landlords will not allow their tenants to put the units on Airbnb. They effectively won't allow them to triage out the units. And triaging is a pretty, um, well, it's another hustle out there that, that's gained some attention, but it's a hard thing to do and a lot of landlords don't like it. So landlords this, is,
0: this is a service for the tenants that allows them to lease it out based on rules set in place by the landlord.
1: Exactly. And Airbnb has specifically partnered with a couple big landlords that own a number of buildings in major centres to roll out this kind of Test drive of this program. So,
0: super clever on Airbnb's part because a lot of people try to do that. And a lot of big buildings uh, offer a lot of the perks and amenities that people want to use. And I see uh, a few of the big Airbnb companies here, they have partnerships with uh, major landlords that own large multi unit buildings. To do that within their buildings, but the average person can't do it. They usually exactly. have to rent homes or own the property or a lease from small time, small time people that they can kind of sneak it in sneak or get away in. with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting concept.
1: But that, here's here's the other thing. Like so, but this, it's
0: it's it's going to take so much heat. Like the governments are going to hate it.
1: Well, the, the the governments may hate it, but uh, a lot of municipalities are more open to Airbnb than than others. Uh, but I think this is also a way of Airbnb saying okay. What happens if we get squeezed out of all of the micro, one-off, mom-and-pop Airbnb units? It's great how do for we Airbnb. Keep, how do we keep our model Very going? Smart. Well, all of a sudden, they just picked up 70 buildings across you know major centers in the US. And what they're going to do is, say I own a building, say it's 20 units in there. And I say, okay, every tenant in this building is allowed to Airbnb their unit out. However, they're only allowed to do it, say, 120 days of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not allowed pets, they're not allowed this, whatever, whatever. Um, But in exchange for that, the landlord gets a cut of it. And I think it's about 20%. So Mm -hmm. Airbnb takes their cut, the landlord takes their cut, the tenant gets the rest. Well, the advantages to the tenant are obvious. Um, You know, this could help offset your rent. um, It could make... You know your situation more tenable if you want to travel. You could you could rent your unit while you're away. The benefit to the landlord is that you get this cash, uh, and in fact you might be able to charge more for the unit as well. So your actual lease is higher, and you get this extra flow of income. And then Airbnb gets all this new inventory, this new stock. What occurred to me was there are so many condos out there that strictly strictly forbid having Airbnbs. If I were someone buying a condo as an investor.
0: To pause for a quick second, for anyone listening, like an apartment building is owned by one singular company or like a a main holding thing, and they all share the same rules. Um, But the rules are determined and prescribed by that singular owner, whereas a condo building is an apartment building that's split into a bunch of units. And then as a a whole, all of those owners will make the rules. So in this case, where there's 70 apartments, one owner can be like, yes, I will sign up with Airbnb. A condo building, if there's 70 owners for all the separate units, then all 70 need to say yes, or at least a certain percentage 60% or 70% yeah. that are on that board need to agree with it, which makes it very, very difficult to get it when people are owners and they yeah. all individually pay and they're watching the, they're trying to protect the value of their condo. Yeah. So on average, most condo buildings have banned or outlawed
1: almost uh, all. Yeah. Almost yeah. all,
0: like 90% probably plus have banned and outlawed Airbnbs. So, continue, just so people know what you're saying.
1: So, this is my question is, as a tenant, would you be more interested in renting a building that you knew you could Airbnb? And then, as an investor, like, could you see this actually raising the value, especially on, say, new construction condos, if the condos were marketed as Airbnb-friendly? Like, hey, you can buy this condo unit and then Airbnb the crap out of it. Or as a tenant, like, hey, you can rent this and... Honestly, like, and I knew this This is what was going on in New York when Airbnb first started. People would essentially sleep two nights a week at their friend's house, Airbnb their unit, and pay their entire month of rent. So you can understand the appeal as a tenant to rent in a building where you would be able to Airbnb your unit.
0: Well, I'll speak to this a little bit. Uh, shout out to my girlfriend. Can't say what building she lives in. Um, <laughs> but She has an apartment right now, and most of you guys know I like to travel, so we travel a lot. Yeah. Um, and when we're gone, she has Airbnb her unit multiple times now. She has it down to kind of a system. It's not great, but basically she garbage bags all of her uh, personal items. <laughs> yeah, we we ship them over to my place. And while we're gone, if we're gone for five days, she'll post it on Airbnb. Usually just have a friend do the handoff. But yep. she's been able to make like the cost seven, of the trip, eight hundred bucks, yeah. like a big portion of the yeah, trip, or big half portion, of her yeah. month of rent. It's, it's just nothing to sneeze at. And realistically, we weren't here anyway. So the unit was going to sit empty. Um, and yeah. so it's been a huge win for, for her to do that. Um, and actually, the building that I'm in uh, is also supposed to have that system where they offer that service through the building. The building management has a system oh, where okay. they can run your unit while you're gone. Hmm. It's a 60 40 split. I keep 60, they take 40. Um, but they also can, can rent their unit or rent my unit for me while I'm away, assuming everything's in place. It works really well in my building because there's also a hotel in the building, so they share the services. So, like, the cleaners and the ma- hotel management would actually run my unit. But that's also a system that you're seeing that in the building that I'm in now as well.
1: Would um, you, as a landlord, how would you feel about this?
0: As a landlord, I like the idea um, because I think, honestly, uh, it would result in a higher income from the building. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple things that I have as concerns throughout the hop is if anyone's living there long term, and I'm having Airbnbers come through that are potentially here for a, a party weekend, That's a good time, not a long time, a good time, not a long time. Just there's a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of mess that comes in and out. Yeah. Uh, instead of people just coming home from work with a briefcase or a backpack or whatever, there's people trudging through with suitcases. And I know when I'm going through a hotel with a suitcase, I'm not opposed <laughs> to bumping into a few walls here and there, <laughs> yeah. or, and, and or making a ton of noise yeah. when I'm with my friends going down the hall. Um, the other thing is, it's amazing, but the second this starts to catch on, I don't think it's going to be people that are uh, singular users. It's similar to Airbnb. The people who make money aren't the singular users. It's on average, I think it's it's people who set up and have companies doing a lot of them. Um,
1: but I think, yeah. The, the, I, what it, I was going to say, though,
0: is, is I see banks pulling back on this. And I've already seen it here where I have clients that have... Uh, very well located uh, properties. And when they they end up going and doing these leases with these Airbnb management companies, even if the Airbnb management company provides a guarantee and they're just signing residential leases, the second the bank finds out that there's short-term rentals and they're writing this into their mortgages now, the second that they see that there's short-term rentals in the building, they the financing terms change or they're not like they want to change the mortgage or they have to reduce the loan to value. Um, Here, especially
1: now, coming out of COVID, but here's the workaround. In the case of these buildings, <coughs> the it's units all are all on fixed term leases,
0: individually with a separate people.
1: Yeah, so every individual tenant has their own lease. It just happens that they are they as a tenant are allowed. Um, There's going to gonna do be a short camping term every weekend, and, and yeah, and if they're going to do it, they have to do it through the Airbnb platform, and their building is registered so that um, the owner of the building is also going to ca- get a cut. So from I think the, it's
0: super clever for Airbnb.
1: And again, I wonder because, you know, we're talking, we're going to do an episode here. I think it's our next episode where we talk about the trends. Maybe it's two episodes from now. The trends that we're expecting next year. And I have a lot of questions. I don't know where Airbnb is going to trend because I don't think our municipality happens to be the only one in North America that's going to crack down on this. I don't think it's the case. So, them shifting towards, you know, the experience uh, Airbnb model like the uh, DJ Khaled thing that we talked about. Yeah. um, Or stuff like this where it's more corporatized, it's becomes, you know, almost like a hotel booking website um, with these big landlords. I can see them trying to continue to keep their growth in these new creative ways.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's really smart from Airbnb. I agree. Um, I don't know what's going to boil out of it. Like, I, I think it makes a lot of sense and you'll see a lot of people doing it is it going to result in higher base rents for people? Because it's like, well, my building's located in a great area. I already know. And then I honest, honestly believe it'll be individuals who will make good money on this. And they'll be like, oh, frig, yeah, I'll lease 10 units.
1: Yeah, I guess I'll pay the extra $500 a month because I know I'm going to bring in an extra 1500
0: Exactly. And then so people will sell it. So- every time someone leaves a unit. They're renting a one bedroom fifteen hundred. The second they leave, the landlord already knows that Chandler's out next door doing two and a half grand a month out of it, and he'll sign it instantly. So why would I even take it to market or like you know what I mean? Or I'm only gonna I'm only gonna kind of bring it around to Airbnb operators. So in in I think it's gonna be really good for Airbnb. I think it's gonna be really good for building owners. Uh, I see some difficulties on the side with banks, and I also see some difficulty for the average tenant. I think it'll be really good for people who are locked into a, a unit protected by rent control and have the ability to make that money. Because if you're in a building that's not protected by rent control and you're in a location where people around you are all making thousands of dollars a month from the Airbnbs, your unit's going to become very expensive very right. quickly. Yeah,
1: no, I hear you. Wow. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting that because is super cool. there, there's so much conversation around Airbnbs and, and it just kind of lined up a little bit with... Um, I wonder you know, if they'll try and set something up like that with condo boards where it pays into
0: the condo uh, association.
1: Oh my gosh, I think it'd be a no brainer. I honestly, if I were developing a con- condo, I don't think you can do this on mass because you're essentially signing up condos um, to to be a pseudo short term rental hotel. However, if I had a small marketable condo, um, and the market wasn't yet saturated with this idea, I would 100% do a project where it's like, listen, this is the price of the condo, but we're marketing this whole building as you are allowed to Airbnb it. And I think you could get enough people in a major center, like say there's 60 units there. Could you get 60 people who are like, hell yeah, that sounds like an amazing idea. I travel three months of the year, you know, Mm. or like I'm just an always on the go person. I want to buy that unit provided it's like, hey guys, the most you can do is 90 days a year.
0: If it catches on, it's going to lead into like this whole industry of like lockable, I think they probably already have it, but like lockable furniture and stuff. So like you can have a lockable wardrobe. So when you're there, you just have all your clothes and stuff. When you leave, you just lock the wardrobe and leave you know what I mean? Yeah, it it uh, makes sense. But yeah, that would make sense too for people who travel and stuff. There's already, I'm seeing too now, there's a lot of these um, economies where if you're what's considered a permanent work from home person, they offer lease packages for twelve months, where okay, you do three months in Toronto, three months in Vancouver, oh, sweet. and so you can like travel around, yeah, chase the seasons, why not? Uh, and and enjoy all these different kind of places. So oh, that, that that I that was super neat. But yeah, I, I would that would be awesome it to be like, you know, I want to live and have my home base in Toronto, so I buy the condo in this condo building. They allow me to Airbnb it. Uh, I do have to give twenty five percent of it into the condo board uh, to help give the extra maintenance to handle the amenities that we have, um, but I still end up netting more money than i was by not being able to be here 100%. and doing these the other thing is is you're concerned when you're like oh i'm doing a short-term lease while i'm gone and then you get back and you can't kick them out versus an airbnb on average it's a little easier to
1: yeah and even if it's 90 days but in a big market you could probably conservatively get 200 dollars like net profit yeah. a night conservatively yeah, yeah i mean not a small amount of money but so no, but it's it's only ninety days, so you, you only count days. if you hit hundred percent occupancy.
0: Yeah, so you hit seventy days in there, uh, making two hundred dollars a night. It's fourteen thousand bucks. You know, it's over a thousand bucks a month that you that you subsidize your.
1: Yeah, and you would always hit your hundred percent because you know it's not like like you'll just continue to market it until you hit your ninety day quota and then you get cut off. Oh and, yeah, yeah. You know I mean, what but I mean? like so, if you're
0: gone for three months or something, then you have to do it within a certain period. But still, it's, yeah. it, I think it could be an amazing thing, and I think it's smart from Airbnb to start implementing that because these are all the rules that are getting in the way of them having any more growth. Um, And I think they're seeing, like you said, the writing on the wall where there's such a housing shortage, they're going to be cut out of so many single family properties and these more, um, I guess, micro operations operations and, and miniature buildings. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was super interesting. Hey guys, thanks for listening up until this point coming up Chandler and I debate whether you should be doing everything yourself or you should be hiring it out. Again, him and I have a little bit of a differing opinion, so you're gonna to wanna to check it out. I think it's gonna help you guys make the decision for yourselves.
1: Total lane switch. Before we get into our main topic, like today, we're gonna to talk a little bit about DIY and how much you should be doing yourself if you're starting out. Some things that we learned through our process, what we would do again, how we would do it differently. I hate painting.
0: What's that? I hate painting.
1: Oh, yeah, painting's the worst. <laughs> but, uh, I'm gonna throw a couple things at you because um, Remax just released their national forecast for next year. Okay. Um, and, they kind of went market by market to see what was going to be up in their mind and what was going to be down. Uh, there is a big expectation that the volume of transactions is, is going to go back up next year. Uh, but across the board, the average sale price is going to be down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but skewed dramatically by you know major markets, Toronto and Vancouver. Um, and we're very fortunate here. They're actually expecting Halifax to go up 8%, and Alberta is expected to do really well also. But they also had some really general... Uh, ideas I want to throw at you, and just get your kind of quick one-line take yep. uh, based on these surveys that they did. Uh, they found that sixty percent of Canadians currently own their home.
0: That's actually, I think, impressive. Yeah, I was kind of surprised um, by that myself. I thought there was more renters. Um, yes, did I? So yeah, that that was that's
1: a good stat to hear. Forty-five uh, percent of Canadians worry that further interest rate increases will impact their ability to buy or sell a home next year.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think that number should be higher. Honestly, (laughs) (laughs) I think 45% of people are being realistic. I think the other 55 uh, are being a little too optimistic. Um, and impact doesn't mean you won't be able to sell or you won't be able to buy, it just means you're gonna have less buying power and or you might sell for a bit less. Um, I think, like we said, volume overall will still continue to stay high.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious what the breakdown of that is by sellers versus buyers, because normally the only people we hear talking about rates are buyers, but yeah. in this particular instance, this last little while, sellers have been talking about- Oh shit, about that's inter- impacting
0: the value of my house
1: because yeah. nobody's gonna any money. It's like, wait a second, they have to have real money? Um, <laughs> not just imaginary bank money. Now, a lot of sellers are very in tune with that. And I think probably a good deal of that sentiment of that you know, 45% would be on the selling side. Uh, 73% of Canadians believe home ownership is the best long-term investment they can make. And what's crazy about that is that's up from 49% in 2021.
0: Oh, that well that's no surprise because everybody in the last year has been like, "Oh, I know a friend who made 100 grand on a house. I know a friend who made 200 right. grand on a house." And so everyone's like, "Wow, well, this has got to be the best investment of all time." Right. Um we should do an episode on that, but I don't think necessarily owning your own home or is the best way of doing it. I think it's a great way of doing it, uh, but it's definitely not the best or the only way um but it, it's up there i would say it, it is up there because it's it's a more
1: passive thing and it's something you get to use while you while you invest uh what about this one 54% of canadians are confident that their finances will be stable in 2023 and this number is higher among homeowners at 49% and those with a higher income 63% so basically more wealthy people that uh, own homes feel a little bit more confident, uh, but still not very high confidence level. Sixty three percent is the highest number in there, and that's people who you know own their homes and have good incomes. Only sixty three percent of them. Well, are confident I'm in the, the forty six percent.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is not feeling super confident about how how things are how going. How many things you have
1: under offer right now?
0: Uh, three, and they're all bigger. I think there's just the three of them together is bigger than my entire portfolio. So <laughs> this guy, yeah, you're double up, double up, double up. Of, uh, um but no. E- I, I do feel comfortable that i'll be I'll get through it. Um, do I think it's gonna be hard? Yes. do I think I need to change how I'm going to live? Yes. And I think most people, if you're not thinking that, you're not being realistic. Um, I can like I'm around both uh, high net worth uh, and average net worth individuals consistently. Uh, and I would say both parties express that there is an extreme change in the cost of living. yeah, um and I think honestly, unless you're making big, big money, there it should be no reason for you to not have to change. And when I say big money, I mean, you need to be making at least a half million dollars a year uh, or more before you can almost try and pretend like you're immune to what's going on. Like it, yeah. it just, yeah. or, or you're making 200 grand, but you have absolutely no debt, um, and no obligations like that. That's, uh, so if, if you're under the, well, you're though, living in a van
1: with Neil down by the river. Well, That's still yeah. 999 a month.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in all seriousness, uh, yeah, no, I think that number is too low. I think people need to really be... I think that's what scares me on average. is People are just like... I, when I say I go to the grocery store and everyone's just like, meh, 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 meh. And I'm like, your grocery bill... is One of my one of my good friends called me... Uh, I'll just say, shut up, Max. Called me uh, about two weeks ago. He said when they checked out at Costco, it was like $800. And he's like... Oh, man, it's psycho. It used to be 400 which yeah. was insane. And now
1: he's like, now it's like 800 And we didn't go any harder than we usually do. I actually just discovered this <clears> new app... <throat> um, where like someone will go and pick up your groceries for you, yeah, and bring back. I did not know about that. I'm sure everyone here knew about that app except for me, um, because I hate going to the grocery store. Instacart. Yeah, Instacart. Or, no, let's not give them a free plug, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't know about this.
0: You shouldn't say that on your channel. You're not helping your cause.
1: Why? What do you mean? <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. no, like it's so it's so convenient. Um, <laughs> but it's still it's like man, I barely got any groceries. And then I had to pay the courier fee. And then I tipped the guy because he was literally there. He was like, hey, man, they're out of these. Like texting me the whole time. No. like, I oh don't know, replace it. He was going through. I'm going like-
0: to I'm gonna, call, I'll call it Instagram. We're not giving them a free plug here. If you guys use it, I know it feels very convenient. And it's great. First order of business. You don't pick any of your produce or any of the products and they screw it up consistently. Second order hey, of business. This guy did a pretty good job. Second order of business. They, paper mar- towel they of toilet mark up paper, half the shit way. that's on there. Um, so really? that's
1: really. Oh,
0: yeah. They have little How's like that possible. They have.
1: Are they allowed to do that?
0: Yeah, they have little markups on everything. Like, the prices are not quite the same. Mm, um, okay. <clears throat> additionally, they also then charge you a fee to be a part of it. Uh, and then you end up tipping the delivery driver. So, again, you best be making some serious bank if you have to use Instacart or have a serious reason to not be at the store. Uh,
1: How much would I have to pay you to go get my groceries right now?
0: I don't know. 3500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, Instacart's still <laughs> undercutting Neil. Uh,
0: you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, but, but here, here, my point exactly, though, is that y- you need to be making a lot of money to yeah. afford Instacart. I don't, I don't, like, again, what we've just talked about where everyone needs to be saving money. We talked about cutting know, out all your, all your subscriptions and all those things. Chandler's uh Uber Eats I'm going the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like that's where I'm like Instacart is very expensive. A much cheaper option, I think, is you go directly to the, the store and you do pick up on site. And I don't think they yeah, charge I that. for that right now. Well. Yeah. And you just pull up and you can pick up your stuff. Yeah. That I'm on, more on board for. Instacart's great, but goddamn, you best be balling.
1: Well and and but to your point, like I was so excited, I'm like, man, this is so easy, blah, blah, blah. And then I go to checkout and it was like hundred and seventy two dollars. And I got like the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. I got some ground beef. I got some granola bars for the kids' lunches. I tried to get some toilet paper, but he brought me paper towels. Uh, so it wasn't perfect these, oh. execution. <laughs> See? See? <laughs> You're perfect. literally explaining everything. I got some apples and, you know, got some basic stuff. I'm like, damn, man, with like the tip and stuff like this, this was 200 bucks. So, sorry, you got toilet paper or paper towel? Uh, just the paper towel. Okay, so you've been wiping your ass with
0: paper towel.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you dropped some. Lip All right, jab so we're gonna too. get into <laughs> our other topic. Uh, I don't want to take this conversation any further. Uh, let's just say I, on my next order, I'm gonna have to add some more face cloths uh, to the shopping <laughs> cart. Uh, no, just Vaseline. kidding, just kidding. That's terrible. No, I got some. I ended up having to drive to a store anyway and pick up uh, toilet paper as a result. Um, Shout out Instacart. Yeah. So anyway, but to your point, like. I was like, oh man, this is great. This is so convenient. Blah blah. And you get to the bill, and you're like, damn man, like this is a week's worth of food. Oh, it's like Uber. Eats. Not even.
0: You're going to Uber Eats, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get lunch. Okay, cool. $14 salad. I'm like, man, whatever. Put it in there. Add chicken. $4. Okay, $18 salad. Then you go to check out, and it's like, oh, because you have Uber One, you're saving all this money. But it went from $18 salad to $31 with tip, and I'm like, yeah. How the hell did I just spend $30? Well, on there is a lettuce shortage, on, and then I have the Uber membership, and it's still that much money, and I'm like. It's no but all of it's the extra they're like oh you saved the delivery fee but then when you if everyone looks where it says taxes it says taxes and fees do the math it's never anywhere close to your taxes like the twenty dollar yeah. thing taxes here should be three dollars well taxes and fees are seven bucks yeah You're like well that's that's not that doesn't make much sense yeah um the math anyways we've math. digressed
1: yeah so but this is interesting because this transitions well into this idea of what you can save if you do it yourself, if exactly. You Restore really yourself. Make your so own salad. So, tell me your first DIY project. Like the actual, this is a property Neil owns. Yep. That he went in there and he swung a hammer. So Has it ever happened? Like, I don't
0: think can I've ever you swung, picture swung it, a hammer. People out there,
1: You've never <laughs> swung a hammer. How soft are those hands over there? You though, you know, those hands are silky soft. Let me see. Oh, there's a couple of no, calluses a little, there. The little bump there. Oh, okay, We're that's from the elliptical out. machine yeah. <laughs> at the uh, gym. I'm sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why um, to talk. Anyways, moving on to my first my first property um, that I actually did work on. So my first one was not my first one that I did work on because the first one was simply a rental. Yeah. Um, but my first flip property that I bought with the intention to go <laughs> in there, gut, renovate, and resell was a foreclosure. I purchased it at the auction for $100,000.
1: Oh, an actual live auction?
0: Yes. Okay, I had well, never been, had been in the property. Time, I had too. nothing to do. So this was, I, I think I mentioned it before in our full uh, story breakdown near the start of us doing this podcast. But uh, yeah, I went to a foreclosure auction. I was the only person there. It was the judge, the bank, and myself. It's not actually a judge, it's like a lawyer that handles it. So it's the lawyer, the bank's lawyer, and myself. The bank literally only bid to their number. Most times I've gone to every single property in advance. I will drive over there, even though you cannot access the property. I would walk around, yeah, peek around. in the windows, do all my due talk diligence, make sure it was decent, talk to the neighbor, and then go bid. Uh, in this case, I didn't have time to do that. It was the first time ever that I didn't have time, but I ran over to the auction house, went inside. And again, I was the only person there, lawyer, banks lawyer, myself. Um, and I went in there. I didn't have any money because usually you need to place a 10% deposit, yeah, deposit before you leave. Yeah. I didn't even bring any money because I didn't really have intent. Um and so Impulsed they they open it. the bid and he goes, based on the outstanding amount uh, owing, blah blah blah, it's uh, twenty seven hundred dollars. Anyone like to bid twenty seven hundred dollars? And the bank goes, yeah, twenty seven hundred bucks. Obviously, because they're going to yeah. buy their property
1: back. Twenty seven hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, but now again, you, you, the bank's sitting there, so you're yeah. not going to get this for three yeah. grand. Um, so then, I'll bid five thousand bucks. Which is maybe I shouldn't have raised the raised the roof so high.
1: <laughs> it's like, sir, are we go in five dollar increments here. <laughs> um,
0: so I said five, and then the bank said ten, and then I think I might have said fifteen, and they said twenty, uh, and then I might have said like fifty or something, and the bank said seventy-five.
1: Oh wow, you boys really got serious. In a yeah,
0: crank. it's fun for anyone who's yeah. That, done that's it.
1: dangerously fun. It's
0: insane um and like I, I was heart racing at this point for a $75,000 house um and um anyways bid bid and then they started to slow down around 90 like i think i said like 90 and they were like instead of going up by five they were like 92 and i was like ah uh, cracking the armor this is the yeah this is the and so then yeah we started going up by smaller increments and <laughs> i think they did 97.5 and i said 100 and then like I kinda had just gotten used to him just like the bank going 102. And I just kinda then it was kind of keeping me calm. But then when I said a hundred, the banker just kinda like started like packing up his his bag. And I was like,
1: And like, wait, wait, I didn't mean uh, it. Yeah, I
0: was like, oh shit. Like it was and then uh the lawyer's like, all right, I guess it's yours. And he like pointed at me. And I was like, uh Okay. Well, yeah, I didn't bring my wallet. Yeah. First, uh, first order of business: I have
1: no money. Can I e-transfer you?
0: Yeah, and he was just like, uh, and I'm like, literally, my bank was across the street. I could see it out of the window, and I was like, look, my bank is right there. Can I run across the street, get the They're deposit? Like, Who is this
1: guy? And
0: run back and give it to you. And that's like you a just st- leave and don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, so good. <laughs> That was like a strict no. Like, that's that's a hard no from most of them. This guy was the nicest guy ever, and he said, you have, like,
1: three minutes. And I literally just am, like, sprinting through the courtroom.
0: God, that would never happen
1: now because you can't even get to the teller inside of 20 minutes these days.
0: But it, Yeah, it, literally, yeah. And so then I'm, like, running across the street, getting to the bank. I'm, like, anxiously waiting in line, get the money, come back. Um hand him the money, gives me a receipt, and I had no idea when I was going to get the keys of the house. I think they gave me a phone number or something. Um, anyways, start going through that process. Come to find out I tried to get a mortgage on the house. Bank won't do it um, because I can't get into the home, um, and I have no income. <laughs> so what? I end up having to fundraise That'll the capital to close. Mean, you did
1: not tell this story before, by the way.
0: Okay, so I end up fundraising the capital to close. Um, fundraising
1: the capital. Okay. It's a small
0: amount. I, I, I use the term <coughs> fundraise capital, but real estate, I pool together the money um, to close. And so I show up, give them the next amount of money. You have to do it within 14 days. So 14 days later, I show up at the courthouse, give them the remainder of the money. Uh, then they give me a contact number for a property manager. Uh, and then they have to wait till the deed transfers and all that, which they don't do in a hurry. Um, and maybe 50 days, 60 days later, <clears throat> that Jesus. long. I finally get access to get the keys. Um, And so I met with someone, they gave me the keys and then we drive over there, again, not knowing anything about the house. And I'm like, okay, fingers crossed, we walk in this house and it's perfect and I can just put a friggin' for sale sign in the front driveway and off we go. Turn the door, sort of like push the (laughs) door open. (laughs) The door falls over. Yeah, basically. Turn the lock, push the door and it opens maybe like three feet, like most of it, most of the rotation. And there's just, it's a split entry, and there's just stuff all the way up to, like, the ceiling going down the staircase. And then stuff all the way up all the steps, and then the entire upstairs, like, it's open. It's like one of those open split entries where it's, like, the railing's around. There's just stuff piled probably about three and a half feet high.
1: How did it compare to the hoarding situation I just sent you the other
0: day? Uh, much, uh, I'd say it looked cleaner, because what was hoarded was actual, like, people's stuff. Yeah. Um, come to find that it, it wasn't cleaner. Um, Chandler, it's that one that was pretty dirty recently, but this was just a ton of like kids, toys, family stuff, which is, it's sad. Um, anyways, I was like, all right, here we go. And it, of course it smelled like animal piss and manure. And it was like, all right, this is going to be a project. And like, I basically trudged around over a lot of the stuff to try and take a look and see what things look like. Um, the kitchen was just, like, nasty, so I couldn't quite tell. Um, bathroom was pretty nasty and needed to be done. Uh, it was two bathrooms. So upstairs, there was a kitchen. Where was this? Living room, dining room uh, Harriet's Field. Okay. Which is Random also which is also a neighborhood which was going through a bunch of stuff because they have water quality yeah, issues, and all Dave the homes are on well, which I didn't know when I made the bid yeah. until I drove out there to go look at the house. They ban- and they every, every telephone dump? pole has, okay. get our kids clean water. Where's our water as I'm driving out and every and it's in like, that like red spray paint where it's like dripping down. And I'm like, oh, God, like this is this is a scene. Um, he
1: was like, if it's brown, drink it down. Yeah.
0: So anyways, I uh, the neighboring houses were nice. And the thing that gave me confidence is on either side of the main road, there were subdivisions with a few new homes in there. That were going at the time for like $4.50, which when I bought that, $4.50 for a house in Halifax a lot. was a lot. Yeah. Um, but these are brand new, like
1: all right. So get homes. to the work. Did you clean out the junk? So then I
0: was like, again, I had no money and I had to make this thing yeah. work, and I was hoping to simply get this turned over and relisted and sold for like a buck seventy or a buck eighty. which was obviously not gonna happen. So I did the work. So this is when I had no experience, no knowledge of anything. First thing I did was I ordered a bin to the house. So I yep. called, I, I'm not even going to say who it was, but I called the bin company and that was my first mistake or off the hop. I just called a few, one of them gave me the cheapest price, but I didn't realize that bins could have timelines on them.
1: Uh-huh. So yeah. the
0: bin company came and dropped it off and like I was kind of avoiding going to this house because there was so much stuff to empty. Um, and then after maybe three days, I get a call from the bin company and like, hey, you ready for us to come pick it up? And I was like, "Uh, no. Like, and nah, like, I'm going
1: to just wait till I fill it first. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm like, maybe before I put, sir, I put some stuff uh, in there. Like,
0: oh yeah, well, your bin rental ends in two days and then it's another like $300 to keep the bin. And I'm like, "Uh, what? And so literally that weekend I took off and I spent. I probably went there first thing in the morning at eight and I always spent 12 to 14 hours there, filled the brim to the top to the point where I was stepping on it and I was jumping on it to push all the stuff down. And that hadn't even emptied maybe half the house. Um, When the truck came to like load it, it was like, like trying to like lift it up and it was like the truck almost like broke down just you
1: solo throwing the stuff in there me solo all
0: day i took all all the garbage i went and bought gloves and i was throwing it out come to find out everything's covered in cat piss and shit because cats have been running all over through all the stuff at least you have gloves so i I had the gloves but every time you lift something up and half it ends up on you um
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i wish i saw doing that
0: that, Emptying it into the bin get the first bin taken away another bin brought back which i was not expecting uh, load that whole thing up. And as I'm loading that one up, the family actually pulled up. They used to live in the house, oh my which was God. which was horrible. And they asked, like, oh, my God, like, can we get in there? And the little kids came running out asking if they can come in and get their stuff. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, this was like literally as I threw like the last piece of garbage onto the bin. I was like, you kidding uh, me? I just spent the last like 40 hours emptying garbage of this house. And now there's nothing left in here. The only thing I did do is I had taken one of the Tupperware containers, like the big... Tupperwares and I had filled it with all their pictures, any of the family photos right. they had. So I had like 30 family photos like in frames for them and they took that and they were super thankful and like they understood that it wasn't me who pushed them out of their home. Like the bank had taken their home yeah, and yeah. I bought it from the bank effectively. Yeah. Even though I didn't, it's not a direct translation like that, but that's yeah. effectively what took place. Um, but anyways, it, that, that was a little, that was pretty disheartening to, to watch as the kids kind of like roam through the home trying to find their stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I did all that clean out myself. Um, and then as I got further into it, like I tried to salvage a lot of stuff. I just basically went on our local classifieds, which is Kijiji and called, uh, flooring guys, uh, plumbers, the whole shebang. And my friends did help me with some stuff, uh, moving the appliances. Uh, shout out Ian, if you ever, if you still listen to this, uh, he literally lifted all the appliances basically on his own and he was going down the staircase and the whole fridge was still full of food, but it must have been sitting there with no power for four or five months. So when you opened it, it was an entire ecosystem. Like they could have filmed Avatar in there. If you did like hyper zoom, (laughs) it looked like, it looked like it's like there's people flying around and stuff and there's like green arms going across. Um, anyways, we like taped it up like fifty times. It's like there's no. I'm not. I can't clean this fridge. Yeah. I called Efficiency Nova Scotia and I was like, "You guys give fifty bucks for You're old a, fridges." Yeah, I need that fifty bucks. That so um, we go to like bring it down the staircase, and Ian's on the bottom. The door like cracked open, and you just hear all the stuff like fall, shatter, and just like the black liquid just streams out and pours down his <laughs> arm. Anyways, he was a trooper. We got them all Show to the to uh, the side of the road. Obviously, they they went missing in about two seconds. Um. There was a camper in the front yard that I sold for money. There was a canoe in the backyard that I sold for money. Um, and then a bunch of other miscellaneous things that I ended up selling in Kijiji. Anything I could salvage, I was keeping and yeah. selling in Kijiji by being there all the time. Um, anyways, so we get all the garbage out. Then I start kind of doing an inventory of what I need to do. And like I said, I went in the classifieds and just started calling people. I had no contacts and I didn't have anyone who really did this business. And so I was just bringing a bunch of people out. And effectively, I was calling the cheapest people I could find. Like there was ads like... We install flooring, ninety nine cents. We install cabinets, ten. Like at that time, people weren't as in demand. Yeah, different time. Um, yeah, you actually. To this that. day, I still have some of those contractors that do work with us. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so they all they all came out, and uh, we started going through it. The kitchen was like missing cabinet doors. The ones around the oven were all melted, um, and a few other things. I actually took one of the cabinet doors off, and I went to a hardware supplier here and found the same profile of cabinet door, yep. and instead of redoing the kitchen, I just reordered all four doors. cabinet doors yeah, yeah. for like 75 bucks, yeah, and screwed them on. So I yeah. did that, I went and screwed those on, um, like I said. I, and then I ended up looking at the floor, and I tried to salvage it, and then we slowly started pulling it back, and it all had to go. So I tore all the floor out, my buddies helped me with that. Uh, so I got another bin and tore all that stuff out. Uh, same with all the trim, pulled all the trim off. Then materials, same thing. I during this whole time, I just knew what I needed. I would shop the flyers like a freak and just watch, like, oh, kent has got clearance on tiles, and I need twenty square feet of it, and it's literally ninety nine cents a tile. I would go and pick it up.
1: So uh, flooring. Did same you thing. install any of the flooring? Did you
0: I didn't install any of the flooring okay. myself because I knew that I would just mess it up and I'd be I'd be beaten around. So like I said, I went and found the cheapest guy to do it there. Um, even the painting, I started. And then I hired someone else to do it, but I did it basically the demo and the cleanup. But I realized at that time I was just starting my career. Uh, actually, no, I was still in school, so I was trying to finish school and then start my career. At that during that time, the value to pay someone to do it
1: was so important to me. Well, this is this is the thing. So if you're looking at that in hindsight, yeah. Um, Anyway, you I'll think- finish really quick before you. Yeah. So I went through all of it.
0: I spent probably about twenty grand cleaning it all up, put it on market for two nineteen. I think we ended up selling for two hundred. Um, again, in the market where you wouldn't sell overnight.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I-, I netted probably seventy ish grand in my pocket when it was all said and done because I represented myself on the sale.
1: Yeah, and you had probably um, some carrying costs and stuff like that, and closing costs and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's not not bad. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you did that in large part because you had no other option, and similar to my first renovation, I put. Siding and I put windows into a purchase plus improvement mortgage. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited. I got some new windows in there and I got some new siding. So the place looked way better, like right away. But everything else there, I did myself with the help of my dad. And so that included, you know, very first thing is I opened up like a pass through in this wall, right? Yep. Wall between the kitchen and the living room, did a little pass through. Yeah. Just cut it out, it wasn't load bearing, you know, hung the drywall and tried to mud it in. You know, my dad's very handy, so he helped with that. Um, baseboard, um, laminate flooring, painted every inch of it. You did all the god Got off our colors, yeah. Um, we did it together, my dad and I. Um, I think my father-in-law, too. Just kind of chipping away at it. And then from there, so I did that one pretty much all ourself in terms of the actual cosmetics. Again, I didn't do the siding, didn't do the windows. And then the next property... Um, kind of was a little bit bigger of a renovation I started bringing a couple guys to do like drywall work but again I was in there painting doing some baseboard and, and things like that um, another property my father and I did tile which was the, a nightmare I um, will say
0: I did all the like little light again small stuff that I felt comfortable doing would be all light fixtures as well yeah um, and and any of that kind of stuff that you could did like small things like that I handled any of that kind of crap to try and alleviate because trying to get people to do small brand and bull crap was so expensive yeah, open in a new toilet, hooking up a new vanity. I did that. Totally, which I shouldn't be doing necessarily, but
1: yeah. Um, and I always look at that, and people ask me about this all the time, um, because some people are, are a bit more fortunate where they have the option, and maybe they would obviously prefer to do it for free, do it themselves, whatever. Um, but they have just enough means where maybe they can hire some people. Yeah. And they always ask, you know, what you would do, and you know the numbers have been pretty tight historically, and they're going to be really tight coming here soon. Like, people are going to have to resharpen their, their pencils and roll up their sleeves and do a bit more work, do a bit more flyer hunting, and not just be like, well, I'm going to get the nice one. Like, no, I'm going to get the one that's on sale. Like People are going to have to get a little bit more creative on that in this next little while if they want to, you know, burr model stuff and, and flip stuff. But the other thing is just, I've told people, if you don't do it yourself, it's really hard to engage tradespeople and know what you're talking about and understand the value of stuff. And if you are at a point where your time is really worth more, that's the other time that, that you want to switch over as well. Because it got to the point as my business started to get a little bit more productive, yeah. I realized I could make more money selling houses than than fixing this home. And the one that really solidified it for me was I was working on this two-unit property and it was taking forever and I was effectively doing most of it myself. Um, well, not that that's not true, but I was doing a lot of it myself. Um, all the baseboards I was doing myself, hanging the doors I was doing myself, um, all the ticky-tack stuff, the light fixtures, um, you know, some basic work to the steps. I had someone come in and install linoleum flooring, had bath fitter into the bathroom, and had person do the kitchen. And mean, everything was taking so long and so long and so long. And what I realized at the end was that because the project took me I think it took me like four months to get one unit ready and another three months to get the second unit ready. The combined seven months that could have maybe been jammed down to three months, the savings there on the two unit, $3,000 times three months, like, man, I could have paid an extra 8000 bucks,
0: And been a- in the same place. And been in the exact same place. And worked less. Um,
1: and then had my time back to go do something else. So that was around my third or fourth property that that really clicked for me. Um, and then since that point, I have outsource it. Like, you know, I've got a good group of trades people here now, but even like installing tile, um, which again was one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, because you're there on your hands and knees, like panicking that it's drying and that it's going to pop up and like, it is a nightmare. Um, and then realizing, you know, some old Italian dude can do it in 20 minutes way better. Um, you know, makes me realize what my time is worth and value, but I do to this day, if I could do it all again, I would still want it to go through that experience. Do you yeah. feel the same? Like, yeah, I mean, so like, you had a, that's a hard one you went through, but you, had, you learned something from there. This is maybe why you're so stingy, I've realized now. <laughs> like, you learned that thriftiness back then.
0: Before I answer that, I have to tell one really quick story that I was laughing about. There was a couple hilarious moments in this house. This is maybe not the funniest thing ever, but the the utility room, because it was on well, had a pressure tank and the full water system. Oh, yeah. Um, and that must have been where the animals liked to use the bathroom because there was literally so much animal feces that we had to shovel it out. Oh, God. Um, it was disgusting. Anyways, we shoveled it out. We broomed it. We tried to clean it as best as possible. And then I got, went to go get the pressure tank replaced. And sure enough, like it was so old and rusted, the guy was down there. And the second he touched it, the whole pressure tank just disintegrated in his hand. And beyond us, there was more animal shit behind it and underneath it. And so it just. There's a lot of water in those pressure tanks. Yeah, it just washed down and just mixed with the shit. And he's Ugh. on his hands and knees <laughs> underneath the staircase. He's like, with God damn it! I should have
1: answered this Kijiji ad.
0: <laughs> he's just it just washes out onto him, and I just like literally walked away. And I just see him go, uh oh, fuck." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the guy was a trooper though. He cleaned all of it up, and then he oh. soaked all the water up. He cleaned all the water up because he was more concerned about the fact that he's gonna get my laminate wet in the basement. And it's like
1: you should be more concerned about the fact you're covered in uh, feces. Should, my that's brain. not muddy water, bro. Uh,
0: yeah. um, anyways, <laughs> to answer your question, um, looking back on it, when I do it that way again, yes, I think I pretty quickly transitioned to getting people to do the work, but I made an effort to make sure it wasn't so I could be out partying or spending my time relaxing. At the start, it was so I could be out making money in that same time. Right, and I made sure that I was making as much money or more doing other things because my biggest thing is, don't waste your time doing stuff that you're not good at when someone who is good at it can go in there and do it. Right? It's and I do that with any of the businesses too. It's like I'm no good at let's say collecting rent, so I had to hire someone to, to to do that. Yeah, and so it's the same with this that I was no good at laying laminate, and I would spend eight days doing this floor when someone else would spend a day. Um, and in that in those eight days, if I could sell one home or do whatever it may be at that time to make money selling cars or selling products, I could offset that. Um, I almost, so yeah. I, I think- almost
1: feel like it's worse when you are just handy enough that you feel you could do it yourself. And this was my challenge. I'm like, I can do that, though. Like, I, I can put that laminate I think again. a lot of people face that. Yeah. And I
0: honestly, I had done That's what and God, I, done I know guys have struggled that way. Yeah, I had done trim and laminate and all those things. And it, it bugged me, especially because trim, I'm like, this is not, uh, like, it's not that difficult to no, go and cut some 45s right. around every corner and, like, figure it out and get it blasted off. Um, And they charge a fair bit to do it. Um, yeah. But it, it's, I, and I think a lot of people struggle with that same thing like you said is I can do it but you really have to weigh in the pros and cons and if it's a rental property you need to consider like how much extra time is this going to take me because it's going to get offset by the fact that this is going to be rented sooner and your time is valuable because sometimes searching on a better deal like Chandler and I talk about this all the time if we can search out one better deal per year we could work 50% as much as we do and be in the exact same spot Um, and so yeah looking back at it I, I think I transitioned fairly quickly which I'm happy that I did Uh, sometimes I wish I was a little bit more involved because even today, contractors ream off a bunch of different terms sometimes and I'm like, I don't know and and like, yeah, I'm an engineer, but in engineering we don't necessarily talk about a lot of the specifics to finishing a a home, right? We talk about necessarily the structure or the mechanical systems but we don't necessarily talk about the finishings Um, and so that that sometimes can be a bit over my head, Um, but even now I'm realizing like, I'll hire a project manager before I go back and learn all that stuff now, Yeah. Um, but all that to say, the market has changed and where prices have gone up so much and it's harder to find a, an easy burr and it's harder to find that lift. All the stuff you can do yourself and le- if you're just hanging out on the weekend, you should be there uh, doing those things. And yeah, it's a at great least time learning. to learn yeah. and, do, and to yeah. go through it and find a friend who maybe can do it and offer to pay them. Don't just expect because they're a friend, they're going to come do it. That's what I did. And if they're listening, they're going to definitely com- comment that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Yeah. Uh, Pay them to be there and buy the snacks. I said to everyone, I'm like, look, if your friends are coming to help at a discounted rate, like you would be paying a company four grand to be here. They're going to be here for half price. Bring lunch, bring beer, bring treats, uh, make it enjoyable as well for, for that experience. But again, going back to it, I, I would do it the same way I did. I don't think I want to be more involved than I was. Um, but I do understand that nowadays you need to be more involved because the price, the price limits are higher.
1: Well, that's the thing, too. And then for a while, it's like, oh, well, I can afford to just hire people because the lift is so big. The lift is so big. And then, yeah. you know, there's going to be some people that have to go back around and, and, and change their model a little bit, maybe to what it was and what got them started. But again, I've I've struggled with the fact that, especially early on, I was like, oh, man, I could totally do that. I, can totally, I just need the time. I just need the time. Are you struggling with the, that still? The the big uh, shut up. <laughs> um, somewhat. Um, it's still like the time, the time, the time. And then when you realize time is very literally money when you're renting property because or flipping property because the quicker you get it back, the less, uh, the, the more money you make, right? So, um, and the other thing is true when people have just enough money that they sort of feel like they can hire someone, but yep. maybe not enough money to. Hire all of the best right people. It's that in between that's really really difficult. So I guess you have to kind of know your situation. Try to learn as much as possible. I do believe that you should do everything at least once. That's I personally believe that. I don't know if you can make a business case for that necessarily in the case of you know doing tile or doing this and within reason. Uh, but having I've a never laid uh, tile. Oh, it's it's not fun. Um, So having that experience so that you can talk Turkey with people when they come and you do know what things are worth and you really understand the opportunity cost of your time. I think that's valuable. And I feel the same way about property management because I think understanding the dynamic and and the process of renting direct to a tenant is irreplaceable. Like that is knowledge that you should have as a landlord and I think if day one you go with a property manager I think you are yeah you have to do it a are little bit dulling your own skill set before you even start um, when you make the transition is going to be about putting a value on your time uh, and the time that the property sits vacant and going from there um, but do everything once including property management
0: the one other thing I want to add in the other reason to do everything once is you have a better grasp of what your Contractors or managers are going through, and you might be able to relate with them a little bit better. Um, because I see some people that might be a little bit disconnected by the fact that they just started out dealing with bigger projects and they've always just paid people. And so they have no grasp or concept or ability to uh, rationalize or kind of connect with their contractors and their people. And people don't love, like the people that work for you are not going to love it if no. you're just an asshole because you're like just beating them up on price with no understanding of what it takes. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's important. Like if you, like you said, yeah. you've laid tile, you probably have a whole new appreciation for the guys that are in there doing it and you're a bit more respectful of their cost, of their time and what it all, what all goes into it uh, versus just being like, what's the best price you can give me, give me the, like, you know what I mean?
1: Exactly. It also like uh, gives you more foresight like, oh, okay. On the next project, I realize that these floors going to be an issue because these two floors are not level in order to get this floor level with that floor. I'm going to have to either build this floor up or strip that floor down. You You know, how's that all going, going to look? So um, the knowledge is super valuable. Again, I know that's not a clear cut answer. I was thinking about this because I have a client who literally is about to do, uh, a property and he's looking at the same thing I'm like man that pass through that you should put right there is exactly what I did 14 years ago or 13 years ago you can do that yourself and you will save money doing it and I think it would be a good experience but it's it's not for me to say
0: here's one thing I'll say and here's a way to maybe get your answer is figure out what your value is on an hourly basis that's honestly what I've always done I'm like I gross X per year so I value myself as this much per hour uh, and if I can get something done for less than that, it's usually a go. We've talked about that on here before. Now, that's only applicable if you're out there making that money during that time. Again, yeah, I'm sitting if, around in your underwear, If, if you're, you're sit- maybe not. I feel like I was a personal attack. Well, it was a little bit. Okay, so if I'm you're just, just sitting around, and it's time that you know you could be doing this, uh, you should be out there doing it. But if it's time that you're like, I'm busy working, I'm making money, I'm doing other things, uh, then... I think you make a value to that and you can put that against what you're going to pay other people to do.
1: I also think that if you believe in investing in yourself, you can also put some sort of dollar value on the education that you could learn. There's a lot of people out there trying to sell you different products. If you're a landlord or want to be landlord, if you're willing to pay for that education, there is something to be said for paying for the education of doing some of these things yourself and learning it. And that type of learning, it costs you one way, but it's not cost out of pocket. It's time, it's energy, um, but it is invaluable. So, Hopefully there was something you took from that. We've got to wrap up here. As always, thanks so much for listening. Really excited about next week's episode and the episode after that because we're going to talk about whether or not this is the bottom of the market. And then we're going to talk about our projections into next year. So lots of great stuff uh, coming up. If you listen to this point, please don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, leave a comment, and check out our Patreon. The membership there is growing. We've got some huge announcements coming on that. So check it out. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out.